Welcome to the Moses Lake Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This episode is from our Strong in Suffering Sermon Series, which goes through the book of 1 Peter. We hope that this message will be an encouragement to you, and we would love to hear how God used it in your life. Uh, We've been studying out the book of Peter. Of course, Peter writing uh, to a people that he knew would be going through a time of suffering and a time of challenge. And uh, if you were to go to the, uh, the book of Peter, you would find the theme of the book in chapter 5 and verses 10 and 12. Peter's writing just saying, hey, I want to encourage you to be strong in suffering, to have strength during times of trial. And so we're going to pick up 1 Peter chapter 3, and let's go to uh, verse number 13, all right? 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 13, we read these words, and who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? But, and if ye shall suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye. And be not afraid of their terror, neither be be troubled. But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. Having a good conscience that whereas they speak evil of you as evildoers, that ye, they may, or excuse me, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. For it is better, if the will of God be so, that ye suffer for well doing than for evil doing. For Christ also hath suffered, or hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing, wherein a few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now, or doth also now save us. Not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who is gone into heaven and is on the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. An incredible passage before us tonight. This is a passage that can often be very confusing, but we're gonna understand it in its context, get some clarity tonight. And I wanna ask you, you ever been around somebody? If Listen, if you were raised with your parents, then this has happened to you. Where your parents try to teach you the right way to do something because you were doing it the wrong way. You ever had that happen? Someone say, this is the right way, this is the wrong way. Tonight, as we come to 1 Peter chapter number three, we're gonna find Peter teaching believers the right way about suffering. There's some right things regarding suffering. There's right reasons to suffer. There's right responses to suffer. And then there's also some right reminders during our suffering. That's the three things we're gonna look at tonight. But before we get to it, let's pray and let's ask the Lord to speak to us. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, why don't you take just a minute and just in in your own heart, would you give God permission? Give God permission to speak to you. God, please speak into my life tonight. And then also, would you take take a minute and just commit to the Lord, God, as you speak to me, as you speak to me, I'm listening and God, I'll respond to you tonight. Dear Lord, we come before you and we again thank you for the love that you have for us. We thank you for your care in our lives. 
And God, I just come before you and I humble my heart to you, Lord, and ask you that you would speak through me tonight. Lord, that you would use your word and your spirit to speak to your people. God, we love you. We thank you for what you're going to do. I pray, Lord, that everyone, whether here in person or online, that we would find encouragement, strength, and challenge. And then, Lord, if there's someone that is a part of our service tonight that does not know you as Savior, I pray that tonight they'd put their faith and their trust in you alone. Love you, Lord. Thank you for what you're going to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You go ahead and be seated. Again, the book of 1 Peter, Peter's heart is very, uh, I think if you just kind of read it, you know, when we, um, we, we talked about where we're reading in scripture a few minutes ago, oftentimes we read the Bible uh, just as it's written here, just by verses and, and uh, uh, the labels of chapters and different things like that. But we know it wasn't written that way. Uh, the Bible, you know, Peter wasn't like, all right, 1 Peter chapter one, verse number one. You know, he, he didn't write it like that. It's really just a letter. It would just be a, a letter written just like you and I would write. And so if you were to go and read the entire book of 1 Peter, you would find through this letter Peter's burdened heart for his people. Uh, the people that he had maybe pastored and been instrumental in their lives and Christians that would be uh, just scattered throughout the, uh, the known world at the time because of the persecution all over Christianity at that time. Of course, Nero was a heavy persecutor. And, and Peter writes, again, saying, I just want to encourage you that you can have God's grace, you can have God's strength, even at times of suffering. Even when things aren't going well, you can still experience the grace of God uh, in your life. And uh, uh, he writes about a number of things. We've already seen him write about identity and about salvation and about knowing uh, who you are and what you have. We saw him last week write about the suffering of Jesus and how it should affect our home, our hands, and our heart. It affects our relationships. That's what we looked at last week, that when you and I think about how Jesus suffered, how he died on the cross and his sacrifice, that calls me as a, a husband in the home, it calls me to be willing to make some sacrifices. Remember the wife, she's supposed to submit. The husband is supposed to uh, value or honor. We looked at that. Then we saw it doesn't only affect our home relationship, it affects our hands. It affects every other relationship, how we deal with people, being courteous and pitiful, having that kindness about us and that empathy and sympathy with people. We looked at that in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses, um, verse 8 and 9, I believe. But then we also saw that it should affect our heart. Peter quoted David in Psalm 34, remember, we've, this is awesome to me how it all just kind of goes together. We've been in that in 1 Samuel, we're at this morning in 1 Samuel uh, 20, 21 and 22, as David writes those Psalms and he says, you know what, I, I had a desire to get even with Saul, but I know it shouldn't be railing for railing. It shouldn't be accusation for accusation. It shouldn't be uh, evil for evil. No, I'm gonna do good. My heart should be set upon doing that which is good. And that's what Peter writes about in 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 10 through 12. So as we come to our passage tonight, Peter's going to really dig in to this thought about suffering. Really, from here on out, Peter's going to talk about suffering. He's going to talk about the attacks of the devil in, in chapter number five. And in chapter number four, he's going to talk about just the different uh, um, areas of struggling that they were having within the uh, leadership of Nero and all of that. But as he comes and begins to kind of really key in on the topic of suffering, he's going to give us the right way to go through suffering. Because there is a right way to suffer and a wrong way to suffer. There's a right reason to suffer, 
and the wrong reason to suffer. And we're going to see those tonight. So I want you to take your Bible and notice, first of all, Peter helping us with the right reason for suffering. The right reason for suffering. Again, there's a right way, a right reason, and there's a wrong reason. Notice, if you will, verse number 17. Verse 17, Peter says this. He says, for it is better if the will of God be so that you suffer for well-doing than for evil-doing. This verse is really a summary of these thoughts that Peter is giving as a whole here. Peter is saying, hey, listen, suffering is a part of life. How many of you know suffering is a part of life? Job said it this way. You can go to the book of Job, Job chapter five and verse number seven. He says, yet man is born unto, what's the word? Trouble. As sparks fly upward. I don't know if you have ever sat by a campfire and, and just watched the sparks fly upward. They never, they never stop. Until the fire's out, the, there's sparks going up. There's little bits of flame going up. What's Job saying? Hey, that's just like trouble for man. Until life is over, it's just like sparks that fly upward. Jesus actually said it this way in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter five and verse number 45. It says, for he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. Peter is writing in 1 Peter chapter three, verse 17 saying, hey, listen, suffering's gonna come, but it's better, it's better if you suffer for well-doing. It's better if you suffer for well-doing. Now, what's the opposite of suffering for well-doing? Well, suffering for not well-doing. It's pretty deep. That's in the Greek. It'd be suffering for foolishness. I want you to think about this. Have you ever, uh, you ever looked at a decision that you made and the consequences that followed and you thought, you know, that wasn't the brightest thing. <laughs> you know, that was... That's kind of a foolish move. Boy, I shouldn't have said that to her. Man, I should have tr- shouldn't have treated him that way. Man, I should not. It reminds me of a little cartoon. I should not have done that. That's how a lot of us are sometimes. But you think about in your life, have you ever caused suffering because of your foolishness? Oh, yeah. Of course we have. Of course we have. Uh, How often do we suffer because of bad choices that we make? We say something and then that that lie comes back to us and we end up hurting ourselves and hurting someone else. We have an action that we take out maybe at work or at school or in the home and that action comes back to, uh, comes back to haunt us and comes back to get us and it, it ends up hurting us and hurting other people. But then, isn't it funny that when we suffer for bad, we try, to, uh, we try to honor that suffering as if we're some sort of martyr? You know, because of that suffering, well, you know, I'm, I'm just going through a really rough financial time. I don't, I, don't know why, I don't know why God has me going through this financial struggle right now, when in the back of our mind, we know we've put the debt on our credit card. It wasn't God that went swipe. Swipe, swipe. Oh, I'll take care of it later. Swipe. God didn't do that. That's us. 
So how many of us know there's, there's some suffering that we can bring on ourselves, isn't there? Maybe financial, maybe relationships, maybe a friendship of some sort. There's suffering that we bring upon ourselves. So what is Peter saying? That's the wrong way for suffering. If you suffer because it's your own fault, don't pick it up as a badge of honor and be like, well, God's just really having me in this valley right now. No, it's probably because of my own foolishness. So what's Peter saying? He's saying, let me give you the right reason to suffer. Suffer for well-doing. What's he getting at? Peter's basically getting at a simple truth. Hey, believer, live right. Keep your heart right with God. We already looked at that last week, and that's really the continuation of the thought. Look with me at verse number 10. For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips that they speak no guile. Hey, watch what you speak. Let him eschew evil, push away evil and and do good. Let him seek peace, uh, uh, be after peace and pursue it, chase it, try to desire it and have it in your life. Why? Because or for the eyes of the Lord, verse 12, the eyes of the Lord, they are over the righteous and his ears are open unto the prayers But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Continuing the thought, who is he that will harm you if ye be followers of that which is good? Verse 14, but and if you suffer for righteousness' sake, happy are ye, and be not afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. What's Peter saying? He's saying, hey, listen, the word of God, I'm saying to you that it is better, the better kind of suffering is the kind that comes because of good choices. Now we say, how can you suffer if you're making good choices? Well, that's in verse number 13 and verse number 14. You're suffering for righteousness sake. Suffering for righteousness sake. What does it mean to suffer for righteousness sake? Listen, we're gonna see this even in, in just a minute, a little bit deeper, but believers need to understand that, and I'm gonna say this statement and then I'll, I'll uh, give it some ground. It's not easy to be a Christian. In our culture, it's not easy to be a Christian. Now you say, well, pastor, we have it easier. Understand the context. We have it a lot easier than some Christians in, in North Korea or a China or something like that. Don't ever play the, the martyr here in the US, okay? Uh, until, you're, until we're getting arrested and put in jail, we're not, we're not suffering really at all. Uh, even, you know, well, the governor shut down churches. That's not suffering. That's just, I won't tell you what that is right now because I'm preaching. Uh, that's, not, that's not true suffering. But when I say it's not easy being a Christian, I'm just talking about everyday life. I mean, really, when's the last time that, that you know somebody praised a Christian for right living? Like, when did you see that on the news last? When did you see on the news last, hey, thanks for taking a stand against abortion? Hey, thanks for standing up against uh, uh, um, uh, unbiblical marriages? Hey, thanks for standing up against fornication. Hey, thanks for standing up against foul language. Hey, thanks for standing. When does that happen? That doesn't happen very much, does it? But a Christian who's walking with the Lord, when someone comes and they begin to go through some suffering in the workplace or in a, a relationship or a friendship, 
but they know I'm, I'm just working at being right with God, you're suffering for righteousness sake. Does that make sense? And as a believer, we need to understand that's a better way to suffer. And that's what Peter is getting at. He's saying, hey, it's better for you to suffer for doing right, not for doing evil. Man, suffer simply because you're going through life and people hate Jesus rather than suffering because you're going through life and making foolish decisions. That's what Peter's getting at. Verse 14, he's saying, if you are pursuing right and you suffer, you can still rest with a good conscience. Notice verse 14, but and if you suffer for righteousness sake, happy are ye. Man, happy, you're, you're gonna be happy, you're gonna be blessed, you're gonna have joy in your life, why? Because I know I'm not bringing this upon myself. I know my foolishness hasn't got me down this road and you're not gonna be afraid. The next part of the verse, uh, you're not gonna be afraid of their terror, neither be troubled. Their terror or, or being troubled is those persecutors, and we'll see it in just a second, those persecutors who would be against biblical Christianity. Peter's saying, hey, if you're going through life and you're living right and you're having, keeping a right heart with God and you are pursuing him, then what harm is gonna come to you? That's verse 13. What, are they gonna, what, what really can they do to you with a clear conscience? They can't do much because they're gonna know their accusations are not true. We're gonna see that in verse 16. And so it's better to suffer for doing right than for doing evil. You see, when I suffer for doing what is right, I'm going to have a better harvest that is worth something in my life, not because I'm planting foolishness but I'm planting good. This type of suffering, it is a suffering that is doing something for you rather than a suffering that is doing something to you. Now, here's what I mean by that. When I suffer because of my own foolishness, consequences are against me. It's, it's hurting me financially, relationship, friendship. Uh, I'm not gonna go into all the ways that we make foolish decisions, because they're all different for all of us. But when we do that, the consequences, they hurt us, don't they? Man, I wish I wouldn't have. Man, I can't believe I said. Man, I, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have given that money there. I wish I wouldn't have invested that. I and we, it's hurting us. But when we're suffering for righteousness sake, it's a suffering that's doing something for me. Well, what do you mean, pastor? Well, it's going to work divine happiness in my life. It's going to work a clear conscience in my life. It's bringing me closer to the Lord. Why? Because I know this isn't because of some foolish decision. So what's Peter doing? Peter's writing. He's saying, hey, listen, you need to have that mindset, verse 10 through 12, of seeking peace and doing right and not giving railing for railing and instead speaking blessing, having a heart that's set upon pleasing the Lord. And then if you suffer, you'll be able to do it with a clean conscience. You'll be able to do it with a right heart with God. This is the right kind of suffering, suffering that comes because of your testimony, not because of your actions. You see, when you suffer because of your own foolishness, you reap consequences that hurt, but when you suffer for righteousness' sake, you're going to see God bless. You may not see it on your timetable, and honestly, you may not see it in your lifetime, but God promises when you suffer for right. I am working. That's the right reason for suffering. The right reason is because I'm living for him. I want you to see secondly tonight, the right response in suffering. Hey, we all know suffering's gonna come. 
The right reason should be that I'm living for the Lord. But when suffering does come, what should I do? How do I respond? Peter, you're writing to some believers who were going through a life of being attacked by Nero. How did they respond? What did you encourage them with? Notice Peter continues in verse number 15. He says, but here's what you can do. When you're in suffering, sanctify. Sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and be, always, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. All right, Peter, we know suffering's going to come, but what do we do when suffering comes? Number one, you set the Lord apart in your heart. What does that mean to sanctify the Lord in your heart? Listen, if you're going through a trial and you're being persecuted or suffering for do good, doing good, you should use every suffering, every trial that we go through, we should use it as a time to draw closer to the Lord. That's what that phrase means. Sanctify the Lord God in your heart. It means draw closer to the Lord from the heart. Man, set him apart in your heart. Use it as an opportunity to be close to God. We have to know tonight that God is never closer to you or me than when we're in a trial. Think about it. Think about the trials in your life. When do you look back in life and go, man, I was really close to the Lord? You know when it was? It was when that loved one was diagnosed with cancer or, or passed away. It was when that financial struggle came that wasn't your fault. It just happened. It was when that job loss took place because of cutbacks and it affected you. It was when uh, that child got sick or when that uh, marriage, was, marriage was really on the rocks. What did you do? Man, you sanctified the Lord God in your heart. You got close to the Lord. We're never closer to the Lord than when we're going through a trial. Why? Because God does these things. I believe God allows these things in our life to draw our attention back to him. Uh, that's one of the points of suffering. One of the reasons that God allows things into our life is to simply draw us back to our need to him. And so what is Peter saying? He's saying, hey, capitalize on that time. Hey, when you're suffering and you've been going through life and, and suffering for righteousness sake, or even suffering for something foolish that you've done, use it as a time to draw closer to the Lord. Uses a chance to know God in a deeper and a, a better way. Let the trial be about you and God. Have that heart of David. What was the heart of David? Man, it's God in the cave time. Man, I just got to get alone with him in the cave. I'm going through this time and there's, here's these people with distress and debt and discontentment that are coming after me. God, I need your help. My family's in a, a rough situation. God, I need to spend time with you in the hold, in the cave like we saw this morning. That's how David wrote Psalm 34 and 56 and 57. And I believe that's one of the reasons why Peter quotes David. He's saying, hey, David got it. David was going through suffering, some of it because of his own doing, and some of it because of uh, Saul's doing. But what did he do? He used the time to sanctify the Lord in his heart. Hey, next time you're going through a hard time, God, help me just to draw closer to you. God, help me just to draw closer to you. We shouldn't have that time of sanctifying the Lord in our heart. But then he says also, and be ready to give an answer. Be ready to give an answer to every man. Notice what it says that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. You know what Peter is saying, what the Lord's saying through Peter? Hey, listen, 
when you go through suffering and you walk with God, people are going to ask you what's different. There are people in this room that uh, I know and people in our church that have gone through some of the deepest valleys and yet they walked with the Lord and through their valley and from their own testimony, someone came up to them and said, how can you do that? Why are you so calm in this? How are you able to, why are you doing, what are they doing? They're, they're asking a reason. Hey, you have something that I don't. Oh, they may not come up and say, uh, Veronica, what must I do to be saved? They may not come up and ask that, but they might come up and say, man, I, I'm watching you. That coworker that says, hey, I, I've watched you. How are you able to stay so calm in this? What are they doing? They're asking you a reason for the hope that's in you. So what's Peter saying? When you and I go through a trial, there's a right response. What is it? Number one, draw close to the Lord. And number two, be ready to speak up for the Lord. Hey, when you go through a trial, when you go through suffering, use it as an opportunity to talk about how good your God is. Use your suffering as an opportunity to point to him. Be ready, be ready to give an answer to every man that asketh you the reason of the hope that's in you. But then it says, with meekness and with fear. Meekness and fear. Meekness means I'm not yelling and screaming at people. I'm not hot-headed and bothered. No, I'm meek. This is written in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24 and 25 about the man of God. I believe it should apply to every Christian. It says, the servant of the Lord must not strive. What's that? Uh, be ready to fight. I'm ready to go all the time. Must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Apt to teach, patient, notice the next phrase, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. In meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves, if God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. Listen, people, and oh, don't miss it today. This is so good. I'm so inadequate to deliver it. I just, I hope it gets through to all of us. People that oppose Christianity, biblical Christianity, they're not, it's just, it's just what the Lord said to Saul or to Samuel when Saul was rejected. Samuel, the people aren't rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Our, our culture does not want biblical Christianity. And there are going to be people that are adamantly against what you and I stand upon. And when we respond to them, we can do it with a hot-headedness. Oh, you're just an idiot. Oh, you're just ignorant. Oh, you're just, we can do it with that type of a boldness or we can do it in meekness. What does meekness say? Meekness says, I know I have the truth, but I'm not gonna be a jerk about it. Meekness is that ability to restrain even though strength is there. The equivalent, they've talked about meekness in the Greek and, and trying to give some comparisons for it. It would be a, a powerful horse that has a harness put on it. A horse is powerful, isn't it? Man, a horse, I mean, how many of you grew up riding or you know how to ride a horse? I remember I grew up uh, riding at my family's houses in, in, uh, up here in Washington and had friends, of course, at camps and different things like that. I didn't grow up a cowboy by any means. I thought I was, but I wasn't. Uh, do we have pictures of us in chaps when we were kids? Yep. 
Uh, so you know what? You can, you can be around horses. When you're around horses, I remember, I remember one time I was in the sixth grade. Uh, we were at church camp, and uh, we were there, I think, a, a couple days earlier or something like that. And so I was riding a horse with uh, the guy who was the wrangler at the time, but we were riding bareback without a saddle, just, to, just the, the bridle. And I remember we were riding in the corral area, and I got bucked off. And I landed on the side of the corral, and I landed right on my arm, and it, I felt like my arm was going to come off of my body. And I realized just at sixth grade, that thing is a powerful beast. I want nothing to do with it. <laughs> now him, I like, but that horse, no, you know. Man, I realized even at an early age, those horse, that, that horse, it has power. But when you put a bridle on it and a saddle on it, what are you doing with that bridle and that saddle? You're restraining that power. That's kind of the Greek thought here regarding meekness. It's power under restraint. Listen, if you know Jesus Christ as your savior, he said, all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth and I give, to you, I give you that power. We have biblical truth. We have what is right. We have the gospel, the life-changing gospel of Jesus and it is powerful. But we don't have to be rude with it. That's what Peter's saying. Hey, be ready to give an answer in meekness and then notice what else he says, in fear, in fear. That word fear, it means with respect. When I talk, talk about what I believe, I speak the truth with respect. I say, you know, here's what truth is and why I believe it. I'm gonna give it to you, but I'm gonna do it with respect. You know what? The atheist that you may talk to or the Muslim that you may talk to or that cult follower that, that you may talk to, most of those people are not insincere people. When they knock my door, they're very sincere about what they believe. They've been given their religion and their worldview by the culture that they've grown up in. And when they're standing on my porch, I, I have an option. I can throw truth at them with boldness and zeal and ignorance, or I can give truth with meekness and respect. Hey, here's what I believe. I'm not, I'm not gonna attack you with it. You're, I've told them before, I'm, I'm gonna tell you some things, but you're not going to like it. I'll tell you if you want me to, but I'm not trying to hurt your feelings. And I, what am I doing? I'm not, trying just to, I'm not trying to just tiptoe around them. No, I want them to understand. I wanna keep the conversation going. That's one of our number one things. If you've ever been here and we've taught through outreach and soul winning, witnessing to people is always keep the door open. Always keep the door open. Well, how can I do that? With respect. You know what? When you're going through a valley, going through a struggle, I need to make sure I'm ready to give an answer with meekness, that power under restraint, but with respect as well. What do trials do? Trials, they help us know God better and they help us also to know how to reach others better. That's what trials do. And so when I'm suffering, what's the right response? The right response is I'm going to, number one, draw close to God. Number two, speak up for God. Notice what Peter says in verse number 16. He says, after, you know, as you give this answer, you can have a good conscience. That, whereas they speak evil of you as of evildoers, they may be ashamed that falsely accuse your good conversation in Christ. 
Now, just like we heard with our uh, revival with Pastor Brother McCracken, that uh, that word conversation, it doesn't just mean your speech. It's talking about an all-encompassing life, your lifestyle. So here's what Peter is saying. Hey, listen, if you suffer for righteousness sake, you draw, you're drawn close to the Lord and you're ready to give an answer with meekness and fear, you know what you're able to do? You're able to have a good conscience, a clean conscience. Why? Because I didn't say anything today that I shouldn't have. I didn't, I didn't respond to them in harshness. That coworker uh, that, that is believing differently than me, I wasn't a jerk to them. And then when people do speak evil of you as of evildoers, there's gonna be a time when they'll be ashamed that falsely accuse you. Now that's kind of a deep passage and I, I don't have time to really get into this, but we have to know tonight something I said a second ago that, that Christianity can be lumped into one big group. Oftentimes by unbelievers, Christianity is lumped into one big thing and, and Christians, even Bible-believing Christians, are, are spoken against as evildoers. We are truly living in a time, don't we see this? We're truly living in a time where they're calling evil good and good evil. That's what the book of Romans says. There's going to come a time in the last days, Matthew said it, uh, and uh, Peter said it to Mark, and then Mark recorded it for us in the book of Mark. Luke wrote about it, John wrote about it, Paul wrote about it. Hey, there's going to come a time when there's going to be a culture that is raised up that calls good bad and, and bad good. We're seeing that right now. Man, just watch the news for 10 minutes if you can muscle it. And we're calling evil good and, and good evil. And you know what happens as Christians, we get lumped into, well, that's evil. I'll tell you right now, I believe in biblical marriage. I believe that marriage is between one man and one woman and should be for life. I believe that. But you know what? The LGBTQ crowd, you know what they say? They say that's racism. Our Supreme Court just voted that this last week. That if you speak out against that, you're a racist. A racist? Because I'm speaking truth? Well, yeah, because don't you know that's a... No. No, the word of God says this is what's true. But an unbelieving world doesn't see that. Think about this, that as a Christian, as a Christian, there's going to be times as a believer, I speak out against abortion. I think abortion is murder, and, and, and I'm not afraid to speak that. Now, if there's someone here, maybe you've had an abortion or you know that in your family, I'm not looking back at the past, and I'm not condemning you and your situation, but I'm going to say biblically from the word of God that, uh, man, when a life is, is conceived, that that life is precious in the sight of God. But culture says to Pastor Dennis, that's wrong. That's wrong. Don't you know it's her body? That's wrong. Don't you know there's uh, situations where it's okay? Don't you know? Listen, we're not going to argue. I'll try to present truth, but I'll do it in a loving way. Well, why? Because this is God's word. And here's what we're going to do. I'll be able to go to bed tonight, pillow my head, that I spoke truth and I wasn't a jerk about it. Does that make sense? That's what Peter's saying. Hey, the right response you should be living right. That's the reason to suffer. But the right response is draw close to God and then speak up, to, speak up for God. 
I don't have time to, to get into this, but just that twofold response is draw close to him and speak up for him. I want you to notice, thirdly tonight, that Peter helps us with understanding the right reminder about suffering. We see a right reason to suffer, a right response in suffering, but Peter gives us a reminder about suffering. You remember last week we looked, and in every chapter, chapter division that we have, Peter talks about the suffering of the Lord. And he does it for a reason. He does it because if we, listen, if we can draw our attention and bring it back to the Lord, it's kind of like what I said last week. Hey, hey, look up here. Hey, refocus. Hey, let me get your attention. That's what Peter's doing. Every, every, every so often, hey, hey, remember, Christ suffered for you. Hey, you can go through suffering. Remember, he sacrificed for you. Hey, hey, your life can be different. Why? Because the Lord died for you. What's he doing? He's just kind of drawing attention back. And he does it again in our passage in verse number 18. Notice it with me. First Peter chapter three, verse 18. He says this, for Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. Peter says, hey, listen, we've got a great example of somebody suffering unjustly. And when you're going through a time of suffering, feeling like maybe you're undeserving of facing what you're facing, hey, be reminded about his suffering. He suffered for something that he did not do. Think about that. Jesus, when he was on the cross, what sins were placed on him? Man, your sins and my sins. He became sin for us. For, or, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. Might be 2 Corinthians. Uh, he became sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Hey, he didn't even know sin. And yet he died for sin. That's what Peter says, the just for the unjust. He was dying in your place. He died for every sin that you would commit, every bad thought, every bad word, every bad action, every sin, every sin of the entire humanity was placed on the, cross of Jesus, on the cross and on Jesus as he suffered there. He suffered for sins that he didn't commit. He was the just, suffering for the unjust. He suffered, listen to this, he suffered how no one else ever will suffer. No one will suffer the way that Jesus suffered. He was totally just. I will never be just. And when he was on the cross, listen, nobody hung on that cross with him. Think about that. We say, well, the guys were next to him. Yeah, but they were dying for their sins. No one hung on the cross with Jesus. It was him and all of our sin. Nobody was supporting him. Oh, there were some there, but they weren't trying to get him down. Even the father, listen, even the father turned his own back. And there was darkness upon the earth for three hours from 12 to, nine, or from 12 to three. And you and I will never know suffering like that. We'll never know that. And just because that coworker doesn't like the way you talk about Jesus, that, that's not suffering. And just because that neighbor is, is always getting on to you about your Christian music that they can hear through the window playing, that, that's not suffering. Well, because that, that friend just doesn't understand why you don't go and do the things that they do on the weekends and they kind of make fun of you for it. That's not suffering. We'll, we'll never suffer the way he did. And Peter's drawing attention back to that. He's saying, hey, he suffered. He was alone for your sins, just for the unjust. You'll never suffer alone because of his suffering. 
Now he suffers with you. He knows our pain. He knows our, our heart and our hurts. Verse 22 speaks of the permanent victory we have. Talking about Jesus, he's gone into heaven and under the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. But what's interesting, and I want you to catch this as we do it, is right in the middle of these verses, right in the middle of 18 and 22, Jesus suffered and there's great victory. Right in the middle of it are some confusing verses. Some verses tucked away in there that you almost read it and go, huh? What's, what's, what's Peter get? Why, why are you writing about this? But let me give you this thought. When you know the context, when we know the entirety of it, what we're gonna see in verses 19 through, 22 make com- or 19 through 21 make complete sense. Let me show it to you real quick. Verse 19. Verse 18, he's saying, hey, Jesus suffered, and uh, notice, let's just read the whole passage, verse 18. For Christ also has suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, reconcile us to God, being put to death in the flesh, he died in the flesh, but he was quickened, made alive by the Spirit. By which, okay, what does that which stand for? That which connects to the Spirit, okay? Verse 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. By the Spirit's power, by the Holy Spirit's power, Jesus also went and preached, the Spirit of Christ went and preached to spirits that were in prison. You got it? (laughs) No, still confusing. So follow me and we'll do this real quick. I don't have time to go through and show you all of the diagram of everything that's written there. But there are some people that like to say this. You know, when Jesus died, he was buried. And I even believed this for a while. When Jesus died, he was buried. And miraculously, while he was in the tomb, spiritually, he went down to hell and he preached to people in hell. And then he came back up. That's what some people kind of like to teach. That's not what it's saying. Well, how do we know that? It's not validated anywhere else in scripture. And I think that would be a big deal. Number two, it talks about the spirits that are in prison from Noah's day, so it would only be a segmented, a segmented group, one specific group. Number three, what did Jesus preach? Because it's appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So he's not preaching redemption to them. He's not preaching salvation to them, so what did he preach? Okay, so now what is this saying then? Here's the thought, and it's super cool because it goes right in with the context. By which spirit? By which spirit? Well, Look at verse number 19. We'll do it all together. Verse number 20, excuse me. Verse 20, which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. In verse number 20, that which also means the spirits. It's connected to verse number 19. The word sometime, it means at one time in the past. So here's what this is saying. The spirits in prison, they are the people in Noah's day. They, it's not talking about they're in prison right now. It's saying, hey, these guys, or they are in prison right now, but at some point in the past, they were preached to. Now, here's a key thought. Look at 1 Peter chapter one. Now, 
And I'll say this, and then we'll continue. The spirits in prison, they're the people in Noah's day that had heard the message of Noah, but rejected it, and they died because of the flood. So what is the Bible teaching in this passage? It's teaching this, and it's a very simple thought. I'm, I'm overcomplicating it. That when Jesus died on the cross, or excuse me, uh, um, that's not what it's teaching. That's the, I, I'm seeing I've got way ahead of myself. First Peter chapter one, verse 11. Look at what it says. It says, searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify when it testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glory that should follow. What's being spoken about in 1 Peter chapter 1? 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10, 11, and 12 are speaking about those prophets. Remember we looked at that, those of you that were here in that message, that there were prophets in the Old Testament. They were prophesying, they were preaching about things to come, but they didn't understand them. You remember that? The Old Testament prophets, Jeremiah and Daniel and Isaiah. They're, they're preaching about Jesus, but they don't really know what's going on. Well, notice what it says by what spirit they were preaching. Okay, what spirit were they preaching? Look at verse number 11 again. Searching what or what manner of time the spirit of Christ, which was in them, did signify. Now, this is important because what it's simply saying is that the Old Testament prophets, they were preaching by the power of Jesus. That's simple to believe, right? The Old Testament prophets, they were just simply speaking what God gave to them. Peter would write about that later. So they're speaking with the spirit of God in them. All right, now back to our passage in chapter three. That same spirit of Christ was speaking through Noah. In Noah's day, do you know when Noah got up and he preached for 120 years, almost 200 years, some believe, what was Noah preaching? He was preaching redemption. What was he preaching? Hey, turn to God. Hey, judgment is coming. What was empowering Noah's message? The Spirit of God. So here's the connection that Peter's giving. He's saying, hey, Noah preached to the people in his day by the same Spirit. There was the same power that backed Noah. That's, that's the simple thought. But notice the next phrase, chapter 3, verse number 19 which sometime were disobedient. When, the long suffering, when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a preparing, wherein few, that is eight souls, were saved by water. Were saved by water. <clears throat> Man, this is weight. It's just so much. When Peter got up and he's writing, he's writing to people who were suffering. He brings to them the example of Christ, but then he also ties in the example of Noah. And he's saying, hey, Noah got up and preached with the Spirit of God. There were people that rejected that. And then he says that Noah and eight souls were saved by water. Now, some people like to tie that in the next verse to baptism and say baptism saves you. That's not in the Bible either. So, so what is Peter saying? When they were saved by water, all it's saying is that water validated their message. So, Mo, or, uh, not Moses. Moses didn't preach and go in the ark. Noah did. Noah's preaching. Hey, Ray, hey, judgment is coming. 
Hey, and there's, and what, are the, what, are, what were the people doing? Yeah, right. Scoffing, laughing. No, you're a fool. What was Noah? Noah was suffering. He was suffering for righteousness sake, right? He was doing right, but he was getting a whole lot of pushback. But then when that rain came and that water buoyed up that ark, Noah's message was validated. People knew, oh, he was telling the truth. So it's not talking about salvation by water in the sense of spiritual salvation. It's saying, hey, it validated his message. And then what Peter does is almost, it's almost like a, not a squirrel moment, but it's almost like, a, oh, by the way, look at verse number 21. Are you still with me? All right, verse 21. The like figure whereunto even baptism doth now save us. Not the putting away of the, fle- uh, the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, what's Peter doing? He's connecting a similar picture. We have missionaries that uh, preach the gospel in places that it is illegal. One of those places um, in the Middle East that we have friends that are missionaries that our church supports, and they preach the gospel there. When they see people trust Christ, most of the time, the number one decision that believers are fearful for their life to make is the decision to follow in baptism. Now here for us, baptism most Christians, it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not necessarily a big deal. You know, it's, uh, most people don't, oh, man, what's everybody gonna think? But, but, but baptism then, in the Bible times, was a lot like it is for missionaries in, in a foreign land. When you got baptized, you were saying, I am literally cutting off my old life, my family, my heritage, everything, and I'm claiming Jesus. For the believer in Bible times, for the believer in a missions land, baptism is validation that the message they believe is really believed. Does that make sense? That's the comparison it's making. Hey, when rain came down, Noah's message was validated. Hey, when a believer gets baptized, your belief, like, like you, you're really saying, man, I believe. It's not a part of that belief, It's just signifying, that's that phrase, like figure, in a similar manner. It's not saying when you get saved, you gotta get saved and baptized in order to be saved. It's not saying that at all. No, that that water that raised up that ark, it simply validated the message. And when a believer follows the Lord in baptism, it validates their words that they have truly followed Christ, that they're really, man, I'm serious about this. You see, I know I didn't do it justice, but the scripture, once you begin kind of connecting things, it can make a little more sense because here's what it is. Hey guys, I know you're suffering, but if you're suffering for the right reason, drawing closer to the Lord and speaking up for God, you can remember that Jesus also suffered and there are other believers that have suffered like Noah in his day. He suffered, he was mistreated, but his message was validated. And oh, by the way, verse 22, 
your message will be validated someday too. Why? Because it's the power of God. Someday you're gonna be with him. And where's he at right now? He's on the right hand of the throne of God. That's all power. You see, it's all one simple thought that Peter is connecting. He's just simply saying, hey, when you go through suffering, there's a right way to do it. The right reason, man, be doing right. Be living for the Lord. Let suffering happen because you're living for the Lord. The right response, listen, draw close to the Lord. Don't let suffering push you away from him. Let it draw you closer to him. Let it encourage you to speak up for him. And let me give you a reminder. Jesus suffered. Other believers have suffered. But our message one day will be validated. One day, the world is gonna know. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. And so you may be going through a a tough time. Peter writing, hey, you may be going through a tough time under Nero. Hey, you may be experiencing a lot. But you can know, just as Jesus and Noah and others like him made it through, so can you. Peter is simply saying Christ suffered and others have suffered. So when you go through suffering, you're in pretty good company. I want to tell you tonight that, and I hope we're able to follow this tonight. I don't do the best when I'm explaining things like that. My brain connects it, but it just doesn't, doesn't come out of my mouth like I want it to. But when I read this, I was just so encouraged because I'm reading the heart of a pastor. Peter, he was one of those leaders of that early church. This is 20, 25 years after Acts chapter number eight when the, churches had been, the church of Jerusalem was scattered. And we know that Peter would travel around, give the message, he would go and, and comfort churches, just go read the book of Acts. But I'm reading as Peter's writing and he's watching, he's watching Christians just hurt. Lives are being torn apart, not for wrongdoing. They're being torn apart for believing in Jesus. People are hurting. And as I read this, man, my heart can't help but feel for our culture and for our community and people I talk to and believers that I talk to that say, man, pastor, I'm just really struggling right now. Man, why, why is God allowing this to happen? Man, why? And there's all those questions. And then I come to this passage, Brother Jim. I come to this passage and I'm reminded, hey, if I live for the Lord, if you live for the Lord and you suffer, it's okay. It's going to happen. So you might as well suffer for doing right. But while you're in that suffering, have the response of God, I just wanna draw close to you. And God, I wanna be a witness for you with meekness and fear, respect, with that good conscience. And Lord, I know that when I suffer, I'm in good company. You suffered just for the unjust. You suffered once for sins, for my sin, not yours. And there have been other believers like Noah who have preached a message, been persecuted, and yet their message was validated. And Lord, someday, someday you'll validate my message. Someday you'll validate my life. And I hope that a message like this would challenge us for a couple of things. Number one, live right. Don't suffer for foolishness. Number two, we're gonna suffer. But in suffering, draw close to him and speak up for him. And number three, when you're suffering, keep a focus on the Lord. You're you're in good company. 
Don't get a focus on why me, what's going on, I don't deserve this. Have a mindset like Noah, hey, message will be validated someday. I'm just gonna keep preaching. Thank you so much for listening to this message. If you'd like further information about our church, please visit moseslakebaptistchurch.com.